Okay, welcome everybody to, we're going to name this Mavericks podcast later. Uh, my name is Dwight. I'm here with my uh, humble and gracious host, SJ, holding it down with me. So um, I'm just going to go on a little spiel real quick. This is a new podcast that me and this young lady created. Uh, really, you know, as you, as you look in the, I guess, Maverick podcast slash content, universe most of the people that create content for the Mavs they you know they do a good job but it's generally for the most part the same demographic um and we just want to come in and you know add our our own little flavor to it our own little uh splash on it um and and give uh, folks a little bit of different dynamic so starting out um, I'm gonna introduce myself my name's Dwight I ain't gonna get my last name because I got a LinkedIn job and I don't want uh, folks uh, emailing my boss because I done shit on Mark Cuban. I don't want them problems. And uh, I'm uh, I'm a regular dude. Uh, I was originally born in Michigan, moved to Texas when I was six, been a Mavs fan basically since then, since I first lived in Texas. Um, been my favorite team for a while. I went to college in Michigan still had to follow the team while I was up there. So as far as like being familiar with like the Mavericks content space, I had to come super, super familiar with it because that was, you know, living in Michigan right outside of Detroit. Well, you know, the Mavericks weren't really a national team per se. So I had to get real, real familiar with it. So that's, uh, that's kind of my story. Love the Mavs, still holding it down. And I'm going to throw it to my, uh, co-host SJ to introduce herself. Yeah. Hi everyone. My name is SJ. I'm just a regular gal, young gal. I'm like 21. Originated. I used to live in Jamaica. Now I'm in the States. I'm in New York. I've been a Mavs fan for about about 10 years now. Um, the origin story is actually a little embarrassing, but basically <laughs> I had a crush on this girl. She was a basketball fan. I was like 11, 12. She was a basketball fan. So I pretended like I was into basketball. Her favorite team was at the time, the Heat. This is when the Heatles just formed. So I pretended to be into the Heat and I did no research. I just looked up um, the roster names, didn't even put names to faces. And I got exposed because I mistook Chris Bosch for Birdman. So I got exposed as not knowing anything about basketball. So I decided to actually. I'm not Bosch and Birdman. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very embarrassing. That's <laughs> funny. So yeah, I, because they're both named Chris and it, it was just a lot. So I pretty much did, started actually doing research and I came across a Dirk compilation of his highlights and I was just like who's this guy and ever since then I just kind of fell in love with Dirk obviously the team and that year was the championship season so that was fun being being a fan for the first time and getting a chip so that was fun but yeah so I've been yeah I'm absent for about 10 years now okay awesome 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 and uh not to repeat myself but Anybody that follows SJ on Twitter, we're going to plug our Twitter handles at the end. Like, the, she knows her stuff. Um, when I wanted to do this pod, I reached out to her because I learned a long time ago, if you're going to reach out to someone to do anything, 
get somebody you like and get somebody that's smarter than you. So she's the brains behind the operation. I'm the man pushing 40 years old and she's the younger, I say more knowledgeable about what's happening in the league today. I'm kind of still stuck in my ways. I wanted Andre Drummond three, three months ago because I thought we needed a quote unquote rebounder. So um, she's kind of with it, pays a little closer attention to the modern NBA. Oh, I, I'm not going to say that. I, I pay attention to it, but I say she more embraces it a little faster from a results standpoint quicker than I do. So anyway, we're going to get into, you know, we're here for the Mavs. We're here to discuss the Mavs. And hell, we picked a hell of a week to kick it off because I think this legitimately may have been one of the most eventful weeks in the history of the organization. Um, you know, we lost... Donnie Nelson. Donnie Nelson was has been in the organization for over 20 years. He's been, sure, he's the only GM that we had when the entirety of Dirk's career. Hell, he was here before Cuban owned the team. So, you know, that's monumental that my guy Donnie got packed up. And um, then we also lost, you know, Rick Carlisle. Uh, Rick was my guy. I do think it was time to move on, but you know, Rick was a good coach. God bless Rick. I like Rick is someone that I'll never wish ill on. I think Rick is a basketball genius, but Rick is kind of Rick is Rick, you know, um, think how many players we just know we would never even pursue because, you know, Rick not going to play him. You know, think about think about Kevin Porter Jr. Like we just already knew, like, look, that ain't Dudes like that ain't even an option while Rick is a coach. Agreed. Yeah. So getting into it, SJ, let me ask you, uh, just, let's just recap the season. Um, from uh, now that our season's over with, you know, we got packed up in seven by the Clippers. We gave them boys all they can handle. Or Luca gave them boys all they can handle. Um, we ended up being the fifth seed. Our winning percentage did increase year over year. So I don't, it's weird because all those things are objective statements of fact, but I still feel like this season was a disappointment. What do you think? Well, for me, um, preseason, I usually don't like, especially for this season, because I knew the COVID protocols were going to, you know, potentially mess things up. And we did see that they, you know, affected a good majority of teams. I didn't do like a, you know, seasons predictions where I, you know, predicted seating or anything like that. I kind of just had teams in, you know, general areas. So for the Mavs, I had us actually around, you know, five or six seed maybe, and we ended up being the fifth seed. But I, I might agree with you that it was um, maybe a little bit disappointing. Um, but when you look at like our COVID derailments and, you know, injuries to starters and you know starters being out key bench depth being out I would say that the season kind of went well with all those things in mind but at the same time a fifth seed kind of feels kind of a little false to me like I feel like we were a fake fifth seed just because you know you had the injuries to the Lakers so I, and I know injuries happen every season but that's you know their two stars AD and LeBron not being you know, able to play during the regular season and 
that affecting the Lakers seeding. I feel like they overall in a vacuum are a better team than us. When you look at the Blazers, we lost the head-to-head, but because there was a three-way tie, we ended up being um, a seed above them. However, you could argue that our teams were at least equal or they were technically better than us. So in my head, we're, we were still a seventh seed and our seeding, even though our win percentage was better, I still think we kind of stagnated these last couple of years. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't, I don't have any stats to kind of back up what I'm, what I'm saying, but I just feel like the team last year versus this year, I feel like the team, just the way it felt, right? When you watched us, like we used to pack teams up last year. Well, let me be clear, the 19 through 20 season. Like we'd get out, we'd be up like 20 points. It seemed like it happened a lot. Even if we didn't necessarily hold that lead the entire game, we just blitzed teams. Like they weren't even, like when we won, we beat the breaks off teams. And this year, even when we won and we did a lot better in the clutch, but it just felt like we won, frankly, off Luca's greatness. Like it didn't feel as cohesive as it did in 19 through 20 and you know I look at it what you everything you just said everything with COVID um you know I will touch on these things later but I do think maybe we need to give these dudes a break and even with Rick like in a in a in a situation where you already stress about COVID the protocols you know I've listened to the multiple podcasts where the players said it wasn't just the schedule it was having to wake up and get tested it was just it was hard it was you know mentally taxing to be an NBA player in comparison to previous years and then you look at Rick God bless Rick but you know I don't think Rick is the type of person that when you already stressed about the job at hand and you know some of our guys actually had it that's a dude you want to be coached by in a season like this so I, uh, yeah, the season feels like a disappointment. I know we were the fifth seed. I know we, hell, we damn near beat the Clippers. I, that, man, we almost beat the Clippers. But in that, I, like, if you go back and watch, like, uh, you know, the series we had with them in 20, I feel like a lot of us in the fan base were like, well, you know, if KP didn't get hurt, we would have beat them. I kind of think that's a lie. If you actually go back and watch those games, they was up by 20, 25 every single game. And sometimes we just came back and stole it. What do you think? You know, I agree with that. And, and to your point about the last year team, I, I don't have the exact number, but for a stat, we were fourth in net rating in the Western Conference, I believe. So gotcha. we a gotcha. lot better than seventh, but because, you know, our clutch issues which is why we fell to seven but yeah last year's team was actually dominant offensively. yeah 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 it, it, but, um, it felt that way it did yeah but to you I agree that last year I I've said it before like people saying oh if poison was healthy we would have beaten the Clippers I don't agree I think you know Paul George played the worst postseason basketball of his career in my opinion during that series and they were still blowouts in you know several of those games so I think I think we didn't have the horses, same way as this year, how we didn't have the horses to kind of beat them. 
I think it was the same situation last year. It was Luca trying his best, and we did get more, I would say, more offensive contribution last year with um, Seth Curry and Trey Burke. But ultimately, you can't really rely on Seth Curry, I would say, in that role on the Mavs because we see what he's doing with the Sixers. But you can't rely on Seth Curry in that role and Trey Burke to, you know, take you over the finish line along with Luca. So I I think that that narrative, I mean, it's a hypothetical anyway, so who knows? But I would say that, yeah, I think last year's outcome would have been the same regardless. Yeah, I agree. I think even one of my arguments, and we'll touch on this, even if it's not in this episode later on, was Bubble KP. And man, Bubble KP scored a lot of points and had some very cool stats. But when games, him and Luca played together, I think we were like, if you include the playoffs, we were like four and nine or four and eight. And I think that was because, like, in my opinion, I do think KP declined defensively fully this year. And he was much better in the regular season last year. But I think the picking on him and realizing, hey, he can't move his feet and pick and roll, I think that just – I don't know if teams just watch more film and chose to use that as the primary means to attack us in the bubble – but I actually think that started in the bubble because he was pretty bad defensively in the bubble. He just, he was, he had more offensive bag. He can move better offensively in the bubble. But I think some of the issues defensively that reared their heads uh, in the 2021 season, in my opinion, started in the bubble. I agree. Dame 61 was. He was getting his buckets off that drop that KP was in. So, yep. And I would agree. I would agree that the decline started there. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, so, moving on to our next topic um, the front office turnover. You know, Rick's gone, Donnie's gone. Um, those dudes are out the paint, they are no longer with us. We've had a lot of articles that have come out to, you know, kind of shed light on to why we got my guy. I'm just going to call him the gambler. Um, I will not say his name, A, because I don't want to disrespect him by mispronouncing his name, B, because the gambler is just a funnier name to call him. And because that's literally what that man is known for. He was a very smart dude that figured out a quantitative method to predict basketball games, made millions of dollars. And that that got him a job with my favorite basketball team. God bless America. So what do you think? You know, the whole scenario and anybody that's going to take the time to listen to this knows the details at this point. What do you think about what happened with this front office and all everything that came out over the last week? Well, um, to me, it was shocking and needed at the same time. Shocking in the sense that I didn't think it really was going to happen. Like, I had been kind of clamoring for that front office to be, you know, cleared out. I, I, I felt that it was stale. Like you said, Donnie has been on for so long. He, he's been on since I was born, <laughs> you know, <laughs> doing Mavs things. So I, I, I think the voices kind of got stale in the front office. 
And I, I felt it was time, but I didn't think it was going to come so soon, especially after, you know, the story broke and Cuban was, you know, vehemently um, denying all the claims in the story. And just honestly, I, I just didn't expect the next day Donnie would have been gone. But at the same time, I felt it was needed. Um, we needed new voices in the front office, and I hope that they would kind of look at an outside guy for a replacement. I know we'll touch on um, replacements later, but I, I felt it was time. And as for Rick, that one was the most shocking to me because I, like in my head, I had been saying we needed to move on from Rick. I wholeheartedly believe that Rick is a great coach, one of the best in the league. However, I never felt that he was the coach of the future for the Mavericks. Like in the Luka era, I never felt that way. And I felt that we needed probably a new coach that, you know, kind of meshed with Luka. I think it was kind of obvious that Luka and Rick didn't necessarily get along, even though they were brilliant with X's and O's stuff on the court. But it was kind of obvious that they didn't get their personalities clashed. But with all that being said, I still didn't think that Rick, I mean, it it was framed that it was his decision to step down, but I, I, I didn't think he would leave this soon at the, at the very least. So that was a bit shocking, but hey, change is scary. The unknown is scary. So I think people are maybe a, a little bit uneasy, especially when it comes on to, you know, Rick stepping down. However, I, I think this is a great move in the right direction. Rick, Donnie, that was of the dark era. They did a, you know, great job. They had, a, you know, big duds, but at the end of the day, you got to give them their respect for what they did, you know, bringing a championship to Dallas, and you got to respect that. So I tip my hats to them, but I think it's time to move in a new direction and focus on the Luka era for right now. Yeah, I, uh, I agree totally. Um, something I've been looking at lately is... Cause you know they've been they've been trying to pack our boy up, and the national media and on Twitter calling Luca a diva, calling Luca. Hell, I even seen him being called a coach killer, and I'm like, come yeah. on now. If you look at every great generational player from Mike Michael Jordan, uh, got his first coach packed up within three seasons. Um, Magic Johnson won a championship his rookie year. By year three, Paul Westhead, you know, him and Magic didn't get along no more. Magic got him out to pay. They literally won a championship together, right? Um, LeBron, Paul Silas, uh, Steven Silas's pops, Coach LeBron, when he first came in, they literally got better each year. He still got packed up after two years. And I, I think that's just a thing. Um, something I was kind of saying on the timeline, you know, and I felt like, you know, some people didn't want Rick and I feel it was like split 50-50, but that was always just knowing the history of generational players, like they, their first coach, no matter what was accomplished or matter what their coach had accomplished, that dude is usually not there for too long. It's just the way the game works, right? And I, just knowing that history and just knowing Rick, is cantankerous. Um, I'm from, originally from Michigan, the basketball team I know about, 
more than probably any other than the Mavericks is the Pistons. My dad is a diehard Piston fan. When I talk to him, it's almost like a podcast. He tells me about the Pistons. I tell him about the Mavericks. We share opinions. So I know more about the Pistons than probably anybody that isn't a Piston fan because of that talking to my dad. And Rick got fired because he was an asshole. Flat out, straight up, point blank. Like, he he didn't get along with management. The players were like, eh. And that's how he lost his job in Detroit. Like, it was straight up personality. Like, it wasn't performance by any stretch of imagination. He was such a hard person to work with that they got him out the paint. And I think anybody that knows Rick, um, you, Rick's a basketball genius. He, he is. But at the question I kept asking myself, and I think has been answered, at what point, whatever advantage do you gain tactically with X's and O's, do you lose because dudes don't like you or because you know, the ancillary outside free agents don't want to play for you because you're an asshole. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think um, just, you know, Tim McMahon, his reporting that a lot that's missing from, you know, the Mavs franchise as a whole is that human element. And yeah, it just seems like they don't know how to speak to people. You know, the gambler, he, you know, is described as, you know, incredibly arrogant in McMahon's words and you know Rick he will we know how he treated um Salah Mejri Mm -hmm. and you know apparently that rubbed Luca the wrong way and we see Rick has a past with players you know not getting along and I know we don't like Rondo I know a lot of us (laughs) and by any means I'm not on Rondo's side but at the same time clashes of personalities and word gets around I I stated before that hey players you know talk players talk and if players are saying hey Dallas you know it's hard playing for Rick players hear that and I was told that no no one's listening to Rondo but there might be something there especially today it's June 19th an athletic article was released uh, they're working I, I would say the guys over at athletic they're working this week um, <laughs> an article for the celtics was released and it said blake griffin um he wanted to he was inquiring about coming to the celtics when he was a free agent and someone told him hey don't come here <laughs> we're dysfunctional so who's to say that the same things weren't happening you know in dallas so there's something there. I think, I think you need, you need people and coaches and coaching staff there that they know how to speak to people. I think that's important. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, especially where the league is at now and like that whole hardcore, I run everything. I mean, that stuff don't really, that, that, that doesn't work. And Rick, I think Rick was the fourth oldest coach in the league. I mean, dude, Rick Rick has literally been a head coach in the NBA since before I could drink legally. Like he 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 he's been around for a while, you know, and I, I just think it was time and when the most important thing, even if Rick was the answer and Rick is a great coach and likable, if Luca don't rock with you, it don't matter. 
because you can always, quite frankly, you know, we'll go into this a little bit more in depth later, but Luca's so good that I think he can drag a mediocre coaching coach coaching staff to success. He's he's generational, you know. So moving on to the next topic, uh, you know, checking the betting odds. Our guy Jamal Mosley is by far the odds on favorite to replace uh Rick. Um, you know, I trust Vegas. They usually know stuff. And I think it's very, very interesting that his name was floated around for a lot of different jobs. But I feel like as soon as Rick quit, his name ain't floating around no more. So somebody somewhere knows something. I know we don't have a GM or president of basketball operations, whatever the title we give to that person here. Hell, we might make it two jobs this go around. That's actually something I think we need to do. But who do you want of the candidates that are out there that you've heard of who do you have in mind for a gm basketball decision maker slash head coach combo well i think i think it's hard to you know kind of predict the coach right now without a gm or president of basketball operations so i think Firstly, they need to kind of speed that up and get on that, especially since there's so many um, vacancies around the league. So we don't want a good one, you know, getting snatched up before we had a chance to even, you know, go about our interviews. So I know Masai's name is floating around as a GM. And I mean, he, he'd be a great get, but it slightly feels like a pipe dream. Um, I know his, you know, his contract's up and he didn't discuss any extensions with the Raptors, but we never know. He could just resign, you know, like, I feel like that's not, people don't think that's a possibility when I think that's actually the, the biggest possibility. So that feels like a pipe dream and I'm not too well versed with, you know, general manager candidates, but I would like an outside voice. I know Finley's name. His name was, you know, floating around a lot, but I, I'm not, I mean, if, if he got promoted fine, but I'm not too, I wouldn't be too happy with that just because he, he was still in the organization with the dysfunction. So him getting promoted, what is that really going to change? You know what I mean? And I know they put Dirk on as a special advisor to help with the searches for the GM and the coach. So, I mean, I trust Dirk. I, I would hope that, you know, they value his input as well as the firm that they hired. <laughs> I, Cuban is not just ignoring the firm and doing his own thing. And that's another part that, who are we going to get that would be okay with Cuban, you know, in their ear? Because as we all know, he's kind of a hands-on owner and I don't think that's a good thing. So I just hope, I know for GMs, that um, you don't necessarily have to have a stacked resume to do a good job. We've seen it with, I believe it was, you know, Daryl Morey before he became, you know, so well-known. He he didn't have much experience. I, I, I believe it was the Celtics. Yeah. He, yeah. They, uh, they hired him from like, a, I don't know, business analytics firm to like, he was doing stuff with like, helping the marketing department 
and he also helped track stats but he wasn't like his path to being an NBA GM wasn't traditional yeah so it doesn't necessarily have to be yeah someone with like a stack resume we see James Jones he did a phenomenal job yeah no one thought he would he would do that especially our very own gambler had some <laughs> really, you know, out-of-pocket comments about, um, you know, Monty Williams and stuff. But we've seen that Monty Williams, he's doing his thing over there in Phoenix. So mm. I would just I would just hope they do their due diligence with the search and just find someone with a good eye that understands the game, understands where the game is going so that they can, you know, put that together to build a great roster. And in terms of a coach... Mosley, I'm okay. I've, I've warmed up to the idea of Mosley. I would like for that to be an outside guy as well. However, the players and Luca, you know, they really rock with Mosley. I've seen, you know, other players around the league, you know, Tristan Thompson voicing their support for Mosley. So I, I, I like that. I like that players like him. And because at the end of the day, may very well attract free agents to come here to, you know, play for a coach that they like. So I, I'm warming up to the idea of Mosley. And what I do not want is I, I'm not a fan of recycling all the coaches that failed. So, you know, names like Terry Stotts, loved for him to come back to be an assistant, but head coach, I don't think so. Um, I don't want, I, I'm not really a D'Antoni fan like that. He's great, but I wouldn't like D'Antoni. And one that I definitely, definitely do not want, and I want them to stay away from, is Jason Kidd. That just with his track record on the court, off the court, the optics, everything about J Kidd is screaming, no, stay away from me. So I would hope that they just leave that one alone and just do their due diligence. That's all I ask. Find the right person for the job. That's all I ask. Yeah, that, that, that's where I'm at. I, I kind of I think Mosley's going to be the guy because that's Luca's guy. Yeah. And what a superstar gets that can sign a sign or not sign a you know big contract, which he's gonna sign it anyway, but you still wanna, you know, do him a solid. Mm-hmm. Um I think we I, I don't remember if me and you talked about this before in a uh, Twitter spaces, but we really haven't done Luca solid yet, right? Like we haven't, you know, the Goran Dragic trade didn't go through, which I, can you imagine? Like we basically traded him for free. Like it was like Courtney Lee, it, it was nothing. Or yeah. I think it was that trade exception. It was essentially just 2019, Goran Dragic for free. Can you think about what the playoffs look like these last two years if he, if you just drop Goran Dragic on the roster, it's, it's, I think it's time to start doing Luca solid and, you know, coaches, because here in Dallas, we don't have that much turnover with coaching, but if we do hire Jamal Mosley, I think it also gives the new GM kind of an out because you could go to Luke and be like, Hey man, we're going to hire your boy. But if this don't work out, he going to go. You cool with that? But we going to go ahead and rock with what you want to do here. And then I hate to say this also, it almost gives whoever the new GM is a scapegoat. Because he's like, okay, I didn't get to bring in my guy. I went with who Luca wanted. So 
we're going to give him a year or two. And if everything goes to pot, we'll go ahead and we, I'm going to hire my guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So I, I, that's where I think it's headed. That's I think we're going to bring a outside GM is. I have no idea what it could be. Masai has a real big Dallas Maverick free agent history feel to it, where we all get excited about a guy that's a free agent, and then it turns out we didn't even have a shot. Yeah. That's that's how Masai feels. It, it's exactly. just yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I know. And everyone wants it, but yeah, I feel like it's a closer to a pipe dream than being a reality. Yeah. So all I'll say is, you know, I'm not that well versed in guys. I don't, we haven't even, there's no rumors for who we're even going to interview for the position outside of Michael Finley. Um, this is one thing I will say that I know, I don't think you'd be that comfortable with. And most people aren't, I don't think Mike Finley's going anywhere one way or another. I don't think Michael Finley is going to be the GM, but he may be the president of basketball operations and him and the new GM like have final say, like, or something of that nature. I don't think Michael Finley is just broomed out of the Maverick brain trust. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm simply saying what I think is going to happen. I don't think they're going to pack him up. Uh, because Donnie Nelson left, even if it maybe is necessary because we, you know, we don't totally know everything that happened behind the scenes. Hell, Michael Finley might've been the only reason why it was even semi-competent. So he might even be the best person for the job. I don't know. I just know I would prefer a outside GM just because I, I need, whatever we've been doing obviously hasn't been working. So we need to go a different path. Yeah, I agree. Fresh eyes. I do think fresh eyes is just the best path to go here. But I mean, bottom line, and I know Woj has been reporting this too, and I think it was Bibbs, you know, at Bibbs Corner, he suggested that Woj maybe even putting pressure on Cuban that there might be a GM who's interested but needs to know what Cuban's, you know, involvement involvement level will be. And that might influence their decision because yeah. I think an owner who is so involved in all the decisions, it just, it rarely works out well, especially our owner who, you know, talks in the media every week and, you know, he talks about things that probably should stay in house and he brings it to the media and it just causes a lot of mess and no one wants to go to mess. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. all this talk about dysfunction and all that, no one wants to willingly go into the fire. So I think that Cuban kind of really, really needs to do some self-reflection and have some self-awareness and realize, hey, me being super involved in certain things is not going to work. And you can't have guys overstepping their roles <laughs> like the gambler. He's in charge of analytics. You can't have him imp making his inputs on coaching rotations and doing trades. That just... I don't know his entire job description, but I can, you know, bet you that that's probably not a part of it. So you can't have guys overstepping their roles and kind of drowning out guys that are in charge to make those actual decisions. So I think if when, if that gambler is gone, which he definitely should be, if your star doesn't like someone, that person has to go. 
if he's gone, maybe things will start to, you know, get better. Maybe Cuban will start to, you know, relax a little bit. So we, we'll just have to see with that. Yeah. That, that just to touch on uh, what you, what you just said, like the gambler literally was taking calls for prospective trades and transactions. Like, how does that happen? You know, like, I know analytics is important, but for an outside organization or another team to be like, hey, I want to trade for a player from the Mavericks and not call Donnie Nelson and call that man, that 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 just kind of speaks to just the lack of organization of this like this whole franchise. And this is where, you know, you say Cuban makes a lot of input and a lot of decisions. I, I'd love to know. Like, did Cuban empower him to do that? Or was that just a dude that, you know, got out of pocket and was potentially doing stuff like that behind his back? Because that dude had a job with an NBA team before he got involved with us. Uh, I forget whose report. Uh, it might have been Cato's, but he's worked it. Like, NBA circles know who he is. So for Cuban just to even let that happen for him to even let that situation get to where it got to that's just that's just wild to me I don't I don't you know we I, I'll be the first person to to critique Cuban and knock him for the mistakes he's made but I don't think he's an idiot you know so I am he, he might have he might like he might have liked what the guy was doing by all reports, it, it looks like, and even Cuban's statement in Cato's um, reports, like when he reached out for comment, Cuban said he liked what what the gambler was doing. So, yeah. I I just I am I'm just shocked that he would let someone, especially someone who's not even in charge of certain things, get so much power. Yeah. That I, I I'm a, I'm a little shocked by. I'm a little shocked by that. Yeah, me, me too. And because, yeah, that, that just doesn't add up. And something, I, my theory for the whole situation is I think the gambler had some good data. I think the gambler made some good recommendations that end up working out. And that bought Cuban's trust. I don't think Cuban just would take a dude that won a lot of money and let him make the basically give make him the shadow gm of his basketball franchise so i won't even say i'm gonna i don't know if this is controversial i don't even know if the gambler's ideas were were shit i don't i know delon wright was bad but players mess up right everybody that's the only one that we know is tied to him but i don't know he might have had some good or better ideas i know he wanted halliburton but yeah but he's yeah, and I look at it as like he might have, he, hell, his rotations, recommendations might have actually worked. Hell, who knows? Even if this dude is the best basketball analytics genius in the history of basketball, if, if he can predict the future, if Luca don't rock with him and he's a weirdo that has alienated everyone in the front office, which from every piece of reporting I've heard, like they are, if he's still involved with the organization, you pretty much gonna have to sweep out the 
the whole front office anyway because they hate him that much yeah i i think yeah i think there shouldn't be any question about it and i know his contract's up so it's not necessarily just like firing him it's just not resigning him so i i would think that's the most obvious route at this point because yeah there's no question if you're a franchise star and this isn't just a no strays to um De'Aaron Fox, I wanted to use him as an example, and I don't mean any disrespect, but Luca as a franchise player and De'Aaron Fox as a franchise player, to me, that's different. You know, like, yeah, no offense, but De'Aaron Fox is good, and you know, he's he's that guy for for um Sacramento, but Luca is like on a different level. You know, you cannot, cannot under any circumstances afford to lose a guy like that. So, and obviously. You know, we're talking, you know, Luca's not going anywhere. We know this for, for a very long time. So all the reports of him, you know, wanting out and stuff, that's very much overblown. However, you kind of have to show him that, okay, hey, you know, this is kind of your franchise and I will cater to you. So if, if a guy is, you know, not talking to people correctly and getting into it multiple times with your franchise star, I don't think there's any question that guy has to go. Yeah, you, you have to even, I hate to say this, even if you like his data, you you hire him off the books and he just sends you an email and you and him hold like private Zoom calls. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to commit, all, uh, cut all public ties to him and just, you if you're cuban you say hey i have an analytics team and they thought this would work what do you guys think right you just you have to remove him from it you just do totally but anyway moving on final topic you know before we wrap this up you know i want to talk more about the playoffs uh on the whole um because you know Hell, these teams are still playing. Our Mavs are packed up. And I think the way we see what's happening in the playoffs right now, you know, as we, as we move forward, I think there's going to be a lot of roster turnover, yeah. right? So how that roster turnover plays out, I think it's going to be dependent upon what worked in these playoffs and what has worked over the last two or three years. So looking at it you know we saw first series uh we can speak on man we saw utah get packed up by paul george and the and terrence man last night man you know <laughs> and pat bev and and man reggie jackson and you know you made fun of me and i probably deserved it because i'm taking the fact that without Kawhi, they beat the team with the best record in the nba I look at that as kind of evidence of you said it on Twitter or a while ago, but it, to me, this is proof of how inevitable Luca is. The fact that like dude, this, our roster ain't even like properly constructed for him. It's just, it's some guys, right? Yeah. It, let's, let's be honest. Like if you remove any team in the playoffs, and you just remove their best player and then you compare. We have by far the worst roster. I don't even, hell, you outside of Golden State, even if you include the play in teams, we have the worst roster. And I, I think that's debatable with Golden State. Um, 
I just think that's proof that Luke, how inevitable Luke is. But more specifically, Utah, man, young Rudy is making a lot of money and so's Donovan. So I don't think they're going anywhere. But they've been packed up five years while Rudy has been there and winning defensive player of the year, five straight years, packed up by small ball. How, what you think about that? Is, is that just, how do they fix it? Well, I think, I think the league is about to enter another like weird spot again. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the league and just teams in general, they get very reactionary after the playoffs. And I think um, after, you know, Golden State's rise and them, you know, really, I know technically it's, you would, you could say that it, small ball probably started with Chris Bosh in, you know, Miami, but mm-hmm. Golden State kind of really took it and really, really went all in six, six Draymond Green, you know, at the center spot and called it a death lineup and everything. And it was very, you know, it worked a lot. And I think most people are under the impression that small ball, works when you have shooters and it's the shooting that makes it work and I don't think people realize that it's defense small ball is effective if you have good wing defenders and a wing defender that can act as a rim protector because at the same time rim protection is still key like yep that's why Rudy Gobert like he has his awards like people are saying oh he's not the best defender in the league you're correct. However, he by himself alone is a dominant defensive system because of his rim protection. So if you do not have a wing player that can act as a rim protector, your small ball lineup will not work. So the Golden State, you know, Warriors, they had Draymond Green, generational defender, could protect the rim. He could do anything on the defensive side of the ball. That's why that worked. You look at the Clippers right now, it's Batum. Batum turned into, after they inserted him into the starting lineup during, you know, the Dallas series after game three, I believe it was, Nick Batum looked like Draymond Green to me, <laughs> like defensively. Yeah. Yeah. So he was everywhere. He was protecting the rim. Um, box house, you have to be really um, keen, 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 keyed in with the glass because you can't allow too many offensive rebounds. So small ball is really about the defensive side of the ball. And I think last year with, you know, the Lakers being so big, but they also had the ability to go small. I think with seeing, you know, Jokic dominate in the playoffs, AD dominate in the playoffs. I think people were thinking, oh, you know, the big man, they're not dead. People wanted size on their rosters. And then we see the Clippers doing what Golden State did a couple of years ago, bringing this, you know, small ball conversation back up. But at the same time, like I just said a couple of minutes ago, not every team has a viable small ball lineup. So if I'm, I'm using the Mavs as an example, you would think that people, I've had people tell me that KP at the five is a small ball lineup. No, oh, Lord and Jesus. That just does not make sense to me. Not at all. That Nick Batum, he'd play the Nick Batum role. And I was like, please understand what that means. Nick Batum defensively and KP defensively are just two completely opposite things. At his core, KP is a rim protector. And even then, he significantly fell off. Yeah. He can't guard in space. And honestly, it's unfair to ask a 7'3 guy, you know, to be 
keeping up with point guards at the top of the key. That's unfair to ask, which is why that's not a small ball lineup. Maxi, Maxi Kleber, he would be our best option as a small ball five. However, he's injured his, you know, his Achilles and Maxi, quite frankly, even before then defensively, he didn't look like the guy he was a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't protect the rim like that anymore. So I don't think the Mavericks, you know, they have a viable small ball lineup as does most of the league. They don't either. So I think people are, the teams are going to make the mistake again, especially if the Clippers do go on to win, you know, the title using that small ball lineup. I think it's going to, we're going to see history repeat itself like with Golden State where teams overreact, try to copy that, but don't do it correctly. And then it's just going to, this whole cycle is just going to keep continuing. I think overall, I think teams, I mean, it's it's harder said than done because at the same time, how many guys in the league at whatever size, six, seven, six, eight, can really play center? There's not that many and be dominant. There's not that even Ben Simmons, like people say, oh, you can just stick him at center. That sounds good. <laughs> but he's not a rim protector. Ben Simmons, that's probably his weakest, like, defensive trait is rim protection so even then it's it's that's not even gonna be optimal so I think teams would like to have a balance where they can have a you know rim runner rim protector that they can you know bench for a wing player if it calls for it but it's harder said than done yeah so we'll just have to see yeah well I think you're right I think the league may overreact um what it's kind of change my perception of is like with Rudy you know we can slander him the my only issue with him is he makes so much money and he basically got packed up I don't say packed up rendered ineffective defensively the same way Christos Przingis did and it's like oh brother if you're gonna be making not just the max but the super max and you're winning all the awards I know it's regular season award and you pretty much have been ran off the floor every year you've been in the playoffs. I don't know, man. I don't know. And I know in the regular season, like you look at it, you got Joe Ingles, you got Jordan Clarkson, Donovan ain't a defender. You know, they, the only real wing defenders, even kind of defenders they got is Royce O'Neal. The rest of them dudes, I don't think can, can check up at all. I ain't gonna say they bad, horrible defenders, but they ain't locking nobody up. They get away with what they get away with because they got Rudy behind them. And uh, but in the playoffs, man, he's just been run off the court. And I think, as far as it pertains to the Mavs, you know what we got, my man Rashawn Holmes. Whew, I just don't know if I'm committing that salary slot to a dude that can be rendered ineffective in a, in a playoff series. So like that, like, you know, maybe we can, you know, give me a Nerlens Noel for like seven to eight and then maybe give me like a, a Montrez Harold for around that same price. And maybe that gives you more flexibility and lineup diversity than paying Rashawn Holmes 20 million. Yeah, I agree. I think the days of, and I've, I've been on this train for a while, 
Um, but I think the days of like maxing out or even paying, you know, paying big money to bigs, especially one dimensional bigs, yeah. um, is, is that those days are done unless you have like a an um an Embiid who's just you know obviously dominant center and Jokic. Those two, you know, obviously I think they're the they're kind of like tiers above the rest of the centers in the league. Yeah. Damn, like I I don't mind his max deal just because offensively he's I mean I don't think he's hit his ceiling yet offensively and he's still he could still give you you know 15 points a game and you know obviously defensively he's dominant so I don't mind him on a max cat on a max we know we know what cat can do obviously he's not the defensive guy we know what he can do but everyone else to me max no big money no I think you can get away with like you said paying like a Nerlens Noel type, uh, seven eight million. Even Hassan Whiteside, like I know he, he was on the Kings. He didn't play much, but you know those types on a vet minimum. I think that's the way you go. Go cheap on a center, and you dedicate your money, the rest of your money, to like ball handlers and wings. That's that's the way. That's where the league's headed, and I think those who are up, you know, above that curve, those who kind of see that and are, are above that curve, I think those are the teams that will be the most most successful in the future. Yeah, we, um, man, what I'm about to say is going to sound crazy, but I actually think the concept of what the Mavs, Mavs were trying to do with the big beside KP was right, like the bullpen, they just needed better versions of the dudes they picked. Yeah. Like, you know, if Dorian, not Dorian Finney-Smith, if uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, you need that, you just need a better version of that. But yeah. the conceptually, in a perfect world, what Willie was supposed to be actually is needed, right? And I think, you know, even Bobon's goofy ass, somebody that, you know, kind of can be a gimmick that you can throw in, get some buckets, I think that I think instead of paying one big man, especially one dimensional, no matter how great he is defensively, man, give me the give me the big man bullpen, and let me spread that money out to pick a bunch of dudes that I might be able to play in any playoff series, as opposed to a guy that's going to be great in the regular season, great in certain matchups, but it's going to get ran off the floor. Um. Moving on to the next series, who we got? We got uh, is Brooklyn and, and uh, Milwaukee. That's about to tip off here in a couple hours. What you think? Uh, who you think gonna win? And what's your observations on the series as a whole? Yeah, so that series before you know, before everything, before all the injuries, before that series even started, I had my pick was the Bucks and six because. I was under the belief that, you know, especially from what we saw in the Miami series, that this Bucks team, you know, is a whole different team. You know, Drew Holiday, he was phenomenal in that um, Heat series. He was like, he looked like John Stockton out there. Like, he was dying in. He was in the offense. He was, you know, getting his and setting up others. So I, I thought that this was a different Bucks team. And with Brooklyn, you know, their defense, everyone knows their defense is very suspect. And in their first round series, they, you know, had a very beaten down Celtics team with just Tatum out there and they were getting buckets on them. So I thought, you know, the Bucks would have, you know, just exploited that. However, we saw that they went down, you know, 0-2 and I may have overestimated Bud. He is just, he's like the opposite of Carlisle in, in the sense that 
he will not adjust oh. his game plan. Even when it's not working, he wants to stick with his rotations, even when they might be in a sticky spot. And I think coaches like that, at the end of the day, they're their own – they're, like, their big, their team's biggest enemies in, like, in like those cases. So the Bucks, I mean, this has been a back-and-forth series. Even with the injury, we all thought that it would have been a wrap when Kyrie went down and when there was – when James Harden, he's, like, playing on one leg – but KD said not so fast. You know, he had that phenomenal game, scoring 50 points to put them up. And now we're in a game seven. I can, this is probably the, the only game that I just have no clue what's going to happen. Just because you should probably lean Bucks, but because Drew Holiday has been so awful. And then Chris Middleton, he's Michael Jordan um, in the Bucks arena. But when to Barclays, he kind of comes back down to earth. And, I mean, we know what we can get from Giannis. I think last game he went a step in the right direction, not attempting a three, playing like a big, you know, eating in the paint, you know, rolling to the basket, dribble handoffs. That's the kind of Giannis that I like to see. I don't like to see him with the ball at the top of the key trying to create. That's not that's not his strength. And I think – I hope he's getting, you know, the self-awareness that, hey, this is probably not what I'm best at. And I think Bud is lear- learning, but at the same time, I'm seeing Thanasis, you know, onto the couple playing minute, not me, I wouldn't say meaningful minutes, but he's playing minutes <laughs> in playoff games. Elijah Bryant, I didn't know that guy until a couple of days ago. And I, I, I take pride in knowing a lot of players around the league. So if I do not know him and he's in a playoff game, I think, you know, coaching is a little suspect. Yeah, so, that that man was I I want to say he was overseas up until that's like what they said. Yeah. the spring or something like that because I I yeah I've never heard of that cat either until I seen him checking in yeah so in a playoff I, game yeah I think Bud he he got a little too I I think regardless of what happens Bud's done and I know Carlisle's name has been floating over there I think Carlisle will be phenomenal in Milwaukee. I really do. I, th- I think if they had him these last couple of years, the Bucks probably would have gotten a chip, but that's besides the point. Yeah. I just think, I think it should be a good game. I think, I think Milwaukee with the current state of the Nets and how they are, I do think Milwaukee's better when they play, like when they put Giannis at center. If you look at the numbers, I don't have the exact stats, but I test and I'm pretty sure the stats will tell me that lineups with Giannis at the center are dominant. Every time the Bucks are like blowing out the Nets, it's always with Giannis at the center. Book Lopez should not be getting that many minutes. Hell, you can even turn to Portis, who got benched for some inexplicable reason. He has two straight BMPs, so I'm, I'm not sure what that is about. He was very good in, in his minutes, from what I could tell. But you know, but but it's a little too stubborn for me. So this this one is a toss up. Yeah, the, Milwaukee has so much. Milwaukee's the healthiest team left in the playoffs by far. Yeah, they have all their basically their whole top six is healthy. Yeah, and but oh yeah, I forgot about Dante White. Dante, my guy. Mm-hmm. I, I actually like him quite a bit. He, he that actually was a. That was a pretty big, uh, a pretty big hit to them. But still, you know, they got their big three, quote unquote, healthy. They should be packing up the nets. But it, just like you said, I have no idea. 
I know I have no idea what's about to happen in a couple hours. I really don't, um, because it's just the whole KD factor. You yeah. know, KD did it once. I think he can do it again, but well, it'll be interesting. I will say I do not think Carlisle is going to take that job. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't think he's going to take that job for one reason. And I think the reason is because they Carlisle is the president of the Coaches Association, and I think he's going to I don't know, maybe if they, because I guess this is just the second round. Maybe if they lose, he'll take it. But I just, so many people have kind of disrespected Bud as soon as Carlisle got fired, like, you know, with the whole, man, Carlisle should coach game six and seven. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Carlisle is super vigilant and stuff like that. And he hates when coaches lose their job under conditions under which he don't think they deserved it. So I don't know if he'll take that one. If if you made me bet money, I think he's either going to Indiana or Boston. Yeah, I I, I ruled out Boston after I read the um, athletic article because apparently um, the Boston players were really clamoring for a black head coach. So really, okay, uh, and that makes sense about their uh, their rumored inter- the guys they allegedly interviewed. Yeah, they're all black, so I yeah. I, I think Carlo is out for that one. But Indiana, yeah, I, I think it's either yeah Indiana or or Milwaukee. Yeah, that would make sense because if Bud just get, if, I will say this, Bud gets packed up tonight. Yeah, bro. And Carlisle, I don't think is disrespectful. I think even Bud admit, yeah, it's time for me to move on. Um, I don't think it'll, I think they might mutually agree to go separate ways. But moving on to game seven, we got tomorrow. We got, uh, we got the Hawks. We got um, in Philly. How you feel about how that series has played out? Because that's kind of been super interesting to me just because, you know, as a Maverick fan, I'm watching and I'm seeing Philly. You know, we got Seth Curry over there. I think Seth Curry is legitimately averaging more points over a full playoff series than any Maverick does not name Dirk or Luka in the last 10 years, this playoff run. Like, he's averaging 19 points a game. And no Maverick not named Dirk or Luca has averaged that many points in the last 10 years. It's, it's like I was anti, I didn't, I was on my island by myself. Like, hey, I, you know, I don't think we should have did that Josh Richardson trade. But what Seth is doing over there is, is crazy, but it kind of is custom made for his skill set. But as far as Philadelphia by and large, man, they got good defenders. Ben Simmons, as flawed as he is, is supposed to be able to lock up. I know uh, Thibault can lock up. And even, uh, you know, in MB, I know we've kind of been killing drop bigs. MB is kind of a little different animal. He, he's actually, he can move his feet a lot better than a man his size should. And I just, I have no idea if they're going to win because Atlanta just been packing them up with just skill. And frankly, Philly been folding. Yeah, with that one, that I to me that's probably the most surprising um series of the second round in my opinion. Um, even with the Jazz's collapse, I still think this one's more surprising just because you look at it and you look at the two teams and you think, okay, Philly's the better team, you know. Right. And to me, they've shown over the course of the series, even though it's going to game seven, to me in the series, it looked like Philly is definitely the better team, but kind of similar to Milwaukee situation. 
the coaching, like Doc Rivers, you know, much respect to him for his 20, you know, 2008 championship. But Doc Rivers is probably one of the most overrated coaches I've ever seen <laughs> across any sport because he consistently, almost every playoffs, he has these meltdowns. And it's just, it's so inexplicable because it's not the talent. You know, usually he's favored in a lot of these series that he melts down in. They're favored and just stuff just happens on the court that you can't explain. And you have to look at the common denominator and it's always Doc Rivers. So I'm not sure where that goes. And I think part of Philly's issues too, we, we saw it kind of with Luca as well. And I know Embiid's, you know, injured. He's on the torn meniscus or whatever. But at the same time, when he was dominating, you know, putting up 39, 40, we were saying, oh, he's doing this on one leg. So I don't think it's fair when he has his duds to say, oh, well, he's on one leg. You know, like, I I don't think the excuse can be used both ways. But um, basically, basically, um, yeah, um, yeah, I just don't think Embiid's conditioning is where it needs to be because he flames out in the second half of playoff games consistently. I, and I, I was listening to a uh, a pod, uh, and they it was Nate Duncan. It's the Dunked On podcast, and they were saying the reason why Doc's teams fold up is because Doc was a former player. So he don't like having his guys practice and they load manage. So they're just never in shape. So that would actually make sense. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, Embiid's conditioning. I, I know it, it got better this year, but I still don't think it's, you know, necessarily where it needs to be. So you consistently see him have, you know, great first halves, then he flames out in the second half. Yeah. And Ben Simmons, you know, I've, I've seen them put up, you know, where's Ben Simmons posters and so <laughs> because he it's it's been so disappointing. And I know all year a lot has been made about, you know, him not scoring. And I I, I follow, you know, a few Philly fans and they they've they've turned on him since, but before it was, oh, well, Ben, you know, specifically took a step back on offense to run things and not score. And to me, if I'm looking at Philly, I know Embiid has a lot of load and, you know, Seth's doing his thing, but you need something out of Simmons <laughs> at the end of the day, especially in these fourth quarters when they're doubling Embiid and then Tobias Harris, he's another one. He, he had a great, you know, first half of the series and he kind of came back down to earth these last couple of games. And I think he's probably a part of the reason too, why they've had some meltdowns because he's not scoring either. So I think they need something from Simmons, especially when, you're getting benched during crunch time because you can't make free throws. That that's that's worrying. That that would worry me as a coach. This is your max point guard. He you know he's playing point guard, and they're hacking him in the first half of playoff games. That that can't happen. And just to touch on Seth a little bit, I know Mavs fans have been hurt. Uh, wait wait. <laughs> I've been waiting for this all week, bro. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, I listen. I understand it. I was one of the ones that I, at first, my initial, initial reaction to the trade, like when Shams just tweeted it, 
I wasn't feeling it because I was like, damn, I like Seth, you know, Seth was great here both times, both times Seth was here, he was great, and I didn't like it at first, but when I, I saw their vision, I saw what they were trying to do, or biggest issue last year in the playoffs wasn't really scoring, it was defense, we couldn't stop nobody, so I get what they were trying to do to, at the time, Seth was coming off the bench for us, Seth wasn't even starting for us, so they were trying to trade you know, a bench piece for a starter. So I I get it. But clearly it didn't work out because Josh Richardson, no disrespect, but, you know, he can't play. <laughs> <laughs> or, or let me say, he's not a starter. He's not a starter. I think that's quite clear. Yeah. Um, but Seth, I know it's, it's hurting people to see him do this well. But from the jump, I thought Philly was, if you look at all the teams in the league, Philly is probably the be- like, especially him as a starter and not a bench piece. Philly is definitely probably the best fit for him as a starter because he's not worried about, he's not having guarding responsibility. They're hiding him on the worst perimeter player. That's that's what that's what he's doing. Yeah, and, and, and if he gets beat, he got him beat behind him anyway. Exactly. So. He doesn't have to guard. He just yeah. gets the ball. He scores. And, you know, with Ben Simmons, you know, being so limited offensively, he's getting more ball handling duties while they stash Simmons in the dunker spot. And to me, this this is his best, best fit. And you have to think about it. With role players, fit is important. Stars can go anywhere and thrive. You know what I mean? So stars, stars, fit isn't really I mean, fit's important, but it's not really that important for stars. For role players, fit is extremely important in terms of production. So in Dallas, there is no way anybody can convince me that a Seth Curry and Luka Doncic backcourt can work. Like in terms of substantial success in the playoffs, there's no way anyone can convince me that could work. Because they can't guard people. I know Luca improved on defense, but Luca is not a good defender. We we don't have to lie <laughs> about that yet. He can improve, but he's he's not there yet. Seth, again, he's small, especially for a shooting guard. He he's not he's not a guy that can guard. So in Dallas, he's a bench player, and clearly his ceiling is much more than that, as we see in Philly. So to me, I think you kind of have to look at it with that perspective. That hey. Seth, this Seth Curry scoring, what, I think he's at like 21 points on just ridiculous splits. I think it's like 61% from the Yeah, field. yeah, it's uh, it's like, like 21, 60, and 55, 55. In, this, in, in this series, and it's like 19, 55, and 48 for the playoffs. Yeah, that's just ridiculous, but like, I think, I think people should understand Seth is not that exact production. We would not have seen that exact production on the Mavericks. He would have put up, you know, he would have ate, but it wouldn't have been the same exact production because of the fit things. The, my thing is, I think where people can be upset is, yeah, we traded him and what we got for him. <laughs> the fact that right. we got Josh Richardson, that should be the what people are sad about. Not necessarily that he's going off and he should have been doing this on the Mavs because he wouldn't have been. It's just that, hey, if we traded him, crap couldn't we have at least gotten a cyborg or a, you know or somebody yeah. that that's that actually could do something it, and, I, it, and honestly i like arguing with i was always on we shouldn't have traded seth curry island so i 
I like to get these takes off. So I've kind of just been rubbing it in. But if we keep it 100, I don't even know if he would have did that against the Clippers this year because he's not – Steph has trouble scoring on people with size consistently. Um, just keeping it real, he, he, he just does. He has trouble getting a shot off against people with size. And I think the two-man game, he's able to run with uh, Embiid. And even – they've been mixing in a little bit with Tobias. I'm like, yeah, yeah he, he – we just got Luca, and they would just put a bigger player on him and sit in his shorts. And he, you know, he can shoot the blood. He's the greatest as far as, far as when you put volume into it. You know, I think Steve Kerr's percentage is a little higher, but Steve Kerr was literally shooting like one or two, maybe three a game. When you take volume in it's, you know, Seth Curry's the greatest three point shooting role player in the history of basketball. But what are you doing now? I don't, no one could have saw this coming. Nobody. Seth Curry didn't see this coming. I don't think. And I think there's a little, there's, there's so, there might be something to say playing with your dad-in-law, you know, you're, you're comfortable. Yeah. You know I didn't that. even, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You, he's comfortable. He knows that. And I think I always pointed out like, what, like to me, people don't watch and I, I'm not saying Mavs fans, but like outsiders, like when they comment on the trade, I'm not sure if they've watched film of Seth's actual, you know, play style in Dallas. Seth was, I, I, I think it may point to Rick, but Seth was scared of the ball. I always said it. You always saw it. Seth didn't shoot, especially threes. Seth didn't shoot unless he was like open. Mm-hmm. I rarely saw Seth Curry take a contested three. <laughs> like yeah, he's man. not taking contested threes. He was scared, kind of scared to shoot. And that might have been Rick, you know, with his short leashes, how he'd bench anyone um, if they made mistakes and stuff like that. So it might have been how Rick was, but Seth, this Seth was not the Seth in Dallas. So. No, and I, and I think the other thing, the only time I saw that. <laughs> When Seth Curry, like I, I, like I said, I love Seth, but the one time I ever saw him somewhat aggressive in Dallas was when he was playing his wife's ex yes. uh, in the playoffs. Oh. Like he was going at PG. He was giving, he was crossing them, hitting jumpers in his face. I'm like, I ain't never seen you act like this before, bro. Like he, he was taking that shit personal. Yeah. But he, he, I don't know what happened games five and six because he just didn't shoot he didn't even he wasn't even broke he just stopped shooting but yeah anyway yeah i think um i don't know man i think whew, i don't know what's gonna happen in that game i have no idea i, yeah, I, I, think, it out. I think they're better i i do and yeah. then they're going home to philly you know role yeah. players to shoot better at home so i i think philly, philly will pull it out gotcha and real quick, wh- wh- how you feeling about? Because uh, apparently, I didn't know the West Conference Finals were starting. Is it tomorrow or Wednesday or Monday? Tomorrow at three. So yeah. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah, I, that is a extremely, and I guess Chris Paul, if it, if Jazz uh, uh, Jazz and the Clippers went seven. Chris Paul was only going to miss one game, but apparently I, I don't, he's obviously not going to play tomorrow. Yeah, he's out. And I think he's out for game two, and I guess we'll see for game three. But 
how, how do you feel about that that series oh that one um i well i was on the suns train for a long time from before the season started i had the suns as like a top four seed and they even ex- exceeded my expectations you know obviously being the two seed i, I didn't yeah. see that coming but I, I was very high on the suns i i think their roster is just like almost perfectly constructed you know yeah. you, got, you got a point guard that can you know one of the greatest of all time you know right, right. a point guard um chris paul who's running the show you got devin booker scorer lethal scorer one of the best in the league you got wings <laughs> that can strap up and shoot the ball in mikhail bridges and um drake crowder and you got a dominant big man well okay let me not say dominant <laughs> no offense but you 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 have a very very good big man there we go a versatile defender and can score at the same time so and then you got bench depth you got guys that can shoot you got campaign that could you know do some things so i think they have a great roster and i picked them even if the clippers were healthy they're my pick to come out the west and with Kawhi not being there i think they can wrap this up in six i do think so yeah i me and you were on uh i feel like it was literally just me and you when folks want to play the mavericks to play the the Suns in the playoffs. I'm like, y'all, they will pack us up in five. Four, four. I, like, I don't, that was the nightmare matchup. And I really didn't want it because I'm like, dog, Aiden is going to demolish Lucas' team head to head. And you you yeah. see what narratives they already getting off already. Yeah. And if it happened head to head, I, man, I just didn't want to see it. But yeah, I, I, Man, SJ, I actually think the Suns gonna win the championship, bro. I do too. I, yeah, I'm, I really do. I am. It it depends. I would love my dream finals matchup at this point. I'd love to see a Suns Bucks matchup. I'd love to see that. I think that'd be real interesting. Um, I mean, Suns and Nets could be interesting too. But I mean, I don't trust Philly. I, I just don't trust Philly. I think the winner of Bucks Nets will be coming out the East. Whoever wins that one tonight, I think they're my pick for the finals along with the Suns so uh, the Suns they have a real good shot man a real, if, if they if their health stays together they can get Chris Paul back and they you know stay healthy I, th- I think they have a real good shot I got you so yeah that's it this is the first uh we'll name this Mavs podcast later um appreciate anybody that grinded through and, and listened to this um hell i hate to admit this my old ass don't even know what my actual ad is on twitter my ad is dmp the first um follow me on twitter that's probably why i'm going to post this try to chill out on posting during the workday the mavs eventful last week literally stole all my productivity for the week and my co-host sj please tell me you're at ma'am yeah, so I'm in a weird spot where um, <laughs> I yeah, they, got you in, they got you in jail right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm in prison. Um, but my at my main at is, and that account will be active by the time this is posted. Um, it's at SJ Basketball Eight, and my other kind of side account, which I'm using for the time being, is not SJ Basketball. So yeah. No. <laughs> Right, y'all. We appreciate y'all for listening with us. Uh, we'll we'll probably try to get these in, probably throughout the playoffs, twice a week. Um, but I'll get this out to y'all. Thank y'all for listening, and we are out.